1: Thank you for standing by and welcome to the NFI Group's fourth quarter 2020 financial results conference call. At this time, all participants are in listen-only mode. After the speaker's presentation, there will be a question and answer session. To ask a question during the session, you'll need to press star 1 on your telephone. Please be advised that today's conference is being recorded. If you require any further assistance, please press star 0. Thank you. I would now like to hand the conference over to Stephen King. Mr. King, please go
2: ahead. Thank you, Jack. Good morning, everyone, and welcome to NFI Group's fourth quarter and fiscal year 2020 results conference call. This is Stephen King, NFI's group director, Treasury, Corporate Development, and Investor Relations speaking. Joining me today are Paul Subri, President and Chief Executive Officer, and Papasu Soni, Executive Vice President, Finance, and Chief Financial Officer. For your information, this call is being recorded and a replay will be made available shortly. On this morning's call, we will be walking walking through a financial results presentation that can be found in the Investor section of our website. We will be moving the slides via the webcast link, but we will also call out the slide numbers referred to as we walk through the presentation for participants on the phone. Starting with slide two, I will remind all participants and others that certain information provided on today's call may be forward-looking and based on assumptions and anticipated results that are subject to uncertainties. Should any one or more of these uncertainties materialize, or should the underlying assumptions prove incorrect, actual results may vary significantly from those expected. You are advised to review the risk factors found in NFI's press releases and other public filings on Cedar for more details. We also want to remind listeners that NFI's financial statements are presented in U.S. dollars, the company's functional currency, and all amounts referred to are in U.S. dollars unless otherwise noted. On slide three, We've included some key terms and definitions to refer to for you to refer to as we f- to go through the presentation. Of note, zero emission buses, or ZEBS, as we refer to them, consist of battery electric, hydrogen fuel cell electric, and trolley electric buses. Equivalent units is the term we utilize for our production and deliveries. The majority of our, the majority of our vehicles represent one equivalent unit, while an articulated sixty foot bus takes two production slots and therefore is equal to two equivalent units. I'll now pass it over to Paul, who will recap the quarter.
3: Thanks, Stephen, and good morning, everyone. Before I get into the details of the fourth quarter and year-end 2020, for first-time listeners and those not as familiar with NFI Group, I'll quickly provide some background on our business, specifically our leadership position in zero-emission battery electric and fuel cell electric mobility, and how we plan to drive the transition to a cleaner electric future, what we like to call the Zevolution. Now, turning to slide four, NFI is much more than just a vehicle manufacturer. We're a total mobility solution provider and a leader in technology development. Our offering includes full turnkey solutions of infrastructure installations, vehicle production, aftermarket support, training, telematics, and parts. We have the strongest zero emission bus offering in all of our core markets with the widest range of zero emission mass transit vehicles, ranging from single deck to double deck, articulated buses, medium duty, and motor coach variants. We have for more than 50 years of elec- we have more than 50 years of electric bus experience. And NFI zero emission buses are in service in more than 80 centuries 80 cities in four countries. Our ZEBs have completed more than 20,000 electric service miles and we have delivered 1,371 ZEBs since 2015, including 389 in 2020 or 9% of our full year's deliveries. NFI has the capacity to produce up to 8,000 equivalent units annually, and we anticipate that 20 to 25% of our 2021 production will be zero-emission buses, more than doubling that percentage we saw in 2020. In 2018, we identified that infrastructure or charging infrastructure was one of the main challenges for our operators, which led us to launch our infrastructure solutions business to support our customers in their transition to zero-emission fleets. This business has been growing very well with revenue of $24.7 million in 2020. Infrastructure acts as a differentiator for NFI as it helps create stronger relationships with our customers, while also allowing us to control the infrastructure installation in coordination with the vehicle delivery to ensure on-time service and performance. Now, turning to slide five, 2020 is a year that we soon won't forget. As we began the year, we had a plan that would see us deliver record results and we were off to a great start with a solid first quarter. Then on March 23rd, COVID-19 became our reality as we idled nearly every one of our facilities. As the pandemic took hold in our geographies, few of us could ever imagine the dramatic impact it would have on our world, our customers, our people, and our business. However, we saw a strong finish to the year, exceeding our revised 2020 adjusted EBITDA guidance that we provided in August. Uh, but results continue to be impacted by the COVID pandemic as we move through 2021. Our company-wide transformation initiative, launched in August, titled NFI Forward, achieved its targets for fiscal 2020. NFI Forward is designed to make us a simpler, leaner company with less overhead and a fewer business units, and a reduced footprint. 2020 results from NFI Forward include $17 million in adjusted EBITDA savings, an additional $1 million in annualized free cash flow generation. We remain focused on deleveraging and strengthening our balance sheet, and in December, we completed amendments to our credit facilities, which now provide us with relaxed covenants as we recover from the impacts of pandemic that will help us guide us through 21 and 22. We have also terminated the unused $250 million sidecar facility, and in March, we closed the $250 million Canadian bought deal equity financing. That will drive liquidity and improvements to our leverage with expectations that will be below four times total leverage in 2021 and uh, below three times for the end of 2022. With the fourth quarter and full year 2020 now complete, we can again reiterate our 2021 adjusted EBITDA guidance of 220 million to 240 million. Turning to slide six, our backlog declined slightly at year end by 378 EUs as deliveries outpaced new awards, driven by pandemic-related delays. Based on our experience so far this year in 2021, we continue to anticipate that we will see increased order activity as previously delayed orders are released. Our backlog remains a positive strength for NFI and sets a solid foundation for our future. Deliveries were down within transit, but we saw a strong finish to a very difficult year. The decline in deliveries was primarily due to COVID-19 impacts, but Q4 2019 by comparison was also a very uh, successful period. Private motor coach deliveries were down nearly 40% year-over-year, reflecting the impact of the pandemic. Medium-duty and low-floor cutaway deliveries were up 21% year-over-year, reflecting uh, strong demand which remains encouraging. I'll now ask Papasu to take us through our
4: financial results. Thank you, Paul. Uh, turning to slide 7, our Q4 performance saw significant improvement from the third quarter of 2020, but continued to be impacted by the pandemic. Total revenues declined by 22.5% when compared to Q4 2019, driven by the lower deliveries Paul discussed. Adjusted EBITDA saw a year-over-year decline of 37.4%. In response to the decline in revenue, we've been focused on lowering both variable production costs and fixed general and administrative expenses through the NFI Forward Initiative. Free cash flow was down by $20 quarter over quarter as we saw lower adjusted EBITDA and higher maintenance capital expenditures. Turning to slide 8, our fiscal 2020 performance was down from fiscal 2019 due to the impacts of COVID-19. Total revenues declined 16.4% from fiscal 2019. In addition to lower deliveries, we also saw lower private aftermarket part sales as operators idled fleets. Full-year adjusted EBITDA decreased by 51% as we continue to incur fixed operating costs on a lower revenue base. These negative impacts were somewhat offset by government grants received through wage subsidy programs. On a yearly basis, free cash flow decreased by 82.9%, primarily driven by the idling of production facilities in the second quarter, which resulted in a second quarter free cash flow loss of 43.1 million. Liquidity at the end of 2020 was 233.5 million, an increase of 24.2 million from 2019 Q4. The liquidity does not include the canceled sidecar or funds from the equity offering, which will further strengthen our position. NFI believes that our liquidity provides us with the flexibility to pursue operational and strategic goals such as investments in NFI's zero emission products and electric propulsion technology, investments under NFI Forward and other potential growth opportunities. In addition, we remain focused on returning capital to shareholders through dividends. Turning to slide nine, I'll outline our net earnings and the adjustments that we've made to reflect the impact of one-time non-recurring items. Q4 net earnings were 8.5 million or 14 cents per share. Full year, we had a net loss of 157.7 million driven by lower production volumes, extraordinary COVID 19 costs, and non recurring restructuring costs associated with production reductions and the NFI Forward Initiative. Fiscal 2020 results were also lower as a result of a 50.8 million goodwill impairment charge related to MCI's private motor coach operations incurred in 2020 Q1. Adjusted net earnings for 2020 Q4 were 8.2 million or 13 cents per share. For fiscal 2020, the adjusted net loss was 47.2 million or negative 75 cents per share. Quarterly adjustments include 6.4 million in exceptional costs related to COVID-19 and non-recurring restructuring charges. We also adjusted for mark-to-market and unrealized foreign exchange gains. A detailed reconciliation of adjusted net earnings is in the appendix of this presentation on slide 22 and 23. Turning to slide 10, we outline the expected benefits of NFI forward. The anticipated cost savings from NFI forward will show up in three areas of our financials: lower direct material costs, lower manufacturing overheads, and lower SG&A expenses. In aggregate, NFI forward Uh, is expected to deliver an 8 to 10% reduction to both manufacturing overhead and SG&A based on the 2019 run rate. In 2020, we generated 17 million in adjusted EBITDA savings and an additional 1 million in annualized free cash flow. In 2021, we'll add another 30 million of adjusted EBITDA savings for a total run rate of 47 million driven by the combination of new flyer and MCI business units, the consolidation of NFI parts, and ADI North America parts operations, and as we realize, full run rate savings from actions carried out in 2020. In 2022, we expect to be able to consolidate additional facilities, which combined with further administrative reductions will generate an additional $13 million in savings. And finally, in 2023, we'll achieve another $7 million to bring total expected annualized savings to $67 million. These cost reductions will generate significant volume leverage when markets recover we will grow revenues on a lower fixed cost base uh, with drop through to adjusted EBITDA. We also expect 10 million in additional cash flow savings on top of the adjusted EBITDA benefits during 2022 to 2023. These savings are driven by a decrease in cash leases and the benefits of a central uh, treasury team. In addition to these items, we continue to explore other cash generation opportunities, including a significant focus on working capital. We anticipate that we will need to make a small full-year working capital investment in 2021 to account for increased ZEB production. On slide eleven, you will see a summary of the financial guidance we have provided for 2021, which includes the following: revenue of 2.8 to 2.9 billion, with ZEBs expected to make up 20 to 25 percent. Of 2021 manufacturing revenue, adjusted EBITDA of 220 to 240 million, significant volume drop through from cost based reductions generated from NFI Forward, cash capex of 50 million, which includes maintenance capex, 15 million of NFI Forward initiatives, and other smaller projects, and adjusted ETR of approximately 31%. I also wanted to add a comment on seasonality. We expect a decline in Q1 year over year but anticipate year-over-year revenue and adjusted EBITDA growth in quarters two, three, and four. A reminder to listeners that in 2021, Q1, Q2, and Q3 will be a 13-week period, while Q4 will be a 14-week period for a total fiscal year of 53 weeks in 2021. I'll now turn the call over to Paul to discuss the factors driving our 2021 guidance and longer-term outlook. Thanks, Basu.
3: So now I am on uh, slide 12, and I want to provide a little bit of colour on our end markets. So despite the decline of the total bid universe, the long-term demand for transit vehicles remains intact and we anticipate there will be growth in procurements in 2021 and beyond as COVID restrictions are lifted and government funding is released. An overall positive sign is that only a few transit RFPs in the past year have been cancelled, even with the ongoing pandemic. As we turn to slide 13, we outline that we are seeing unprecedented government support for zero-emission transit vehicles. In February of 2021, the Canadian government announced an eight-year, $14.9 billion public transit funding program, which includes $5.9 billion in dedicated project funds starting in 2021 and an ongoing permanent funding of $3 billion per year beginning in 2026 to 2027. The announcement, the largest public transit investment in Canadian history includes a focus on zero emission and electric transit buses. We're very excited about this development as uh, based on our U.S. experience with permanent and predictable funded transit gives transit agencies much better visibility as they can plan current and future year uh, procurements. In addition to that funding, the Canadian government is fully supportive of the mandate they've given the Canadian Infrastructure Bank and $1.5 billion of financing support to assist that transition at the local transit agency. In the United States, the proposed Invest in America Act, the investing in a new vision for the for the Environment and Surface Transportation Act, which was originally drafted in June of last year, is a $494 billion draft act that aims at providing significant funds for improvements to U.S. infrastructure, including transit vehicles. The draft specifically focused on reducing the U.S. carbon footprint and assisting with conversion to electrified mass transit. And this includes $1.7 billion in proposed funding for zero-emission buses, a five-fold increase from its pres- pres- <laughs> predecessor, the FAST Act. The Invest in America Act is a five-year act that provides dra- transit agencies with longer-term visibility as they execute on their plans. And we are encouraged to hear the news and insights from and priorities from the Biden-Harris administration. The recent announcement of a U.S. $1.9 trillion stimulus package is also encouraging. It not only provides dedicated relief funds to help agencies impacted by the pandemic, it also provides funding for infrastructure and capital projects. In 2009 and 2010, stimulus packages increased bus procurement activity, and there is a potential that we could see some acceleration orders driven by the stimulus funds in combination with a new multi-year funding package. I will also note that that stimulus package for the first time had about 2 billion dollars focused for the motor coach operator recovery in the United States. In the UK, the government announced its 10 point plan for a green industrial revolution in November of 2020, which includes a national bus strategy that we will see that we'll see more than 4,000 zero emission vehicles put into service. And funding within the UK and Scotland has already started to flow. NFI is the leader in North America and the UK for zero emission buses and would benefit from the increased transition to zero emission buses. At this point, we anticipate ZEBs will make up 20 to 25% of our overall production in 2021. And we are well positioned regardless of how fast or how slow the transition actually occurs. NFI can manufacture ZEBs at all of its facilities and ADL has already delivered the most ZEBs in the UK. MCI is now selling an innovative battery electric coach Arbox Electric Equus charge, which was unveiled earlier this week, or sorry, last week, is now in testing. We received our first order for the Equus charge for six buses within two days of the Equus launch. Slide 14 outlines the annual market deliveries in North America and heavy-duty transit since the end of 2019. As an industry, we cooperate through a, a, a media publication. And we are finally awaiting the 2020 actual delivery data uh, to be consolidated by an external source. But we anticipate a significant decline in 2020 actuals before we start to see an improvement in 2021 and steady growth to follow. We anticipate that NFI maintained or grew our market share in 2020. On slide 15, you can see how our private customer markets have been dramatically impacted by the COVID 19 pandemic. The North American motor coach deliveries were down 58% as operators idled their fleets due to immediate decreased demand for tourism, travel, convention, sports, university, and employee transportation. We expect the private motor coach market will recover over time as travel restrictions are lifted and as vaccines are rolled out. But full recovery will take time with continued challenges throughout 2021. And finally, on that chart, in the UK, the transit market, where private operators operate public routes, the market was significantly impacted and was down 65% in the first half of 2020, but finished the year in a better position and ended down 24%. ADL responded to these market impacts by adjusting production at its Scottish facilities, rationalizing chassis production at its Guildford, UK location, and removing fixed costs or reduction in significant administrative and overhead positions. There's no doubt that COVID impacts our 2020 plans and results, but long term buses and coaches will recover and we will play a critical role as cities reopen. There will be bumps in the road as we recover to normal run rates, but government funding that transition to zero emission vehicles and private market recovery combined with the structural changes made through our NFI Ford initiative will make us a more competitive and cost efficient competitor. Slide 16 provides uh, uh, some insight into NFI's uh, targeted trajectory over the coming years that Papasso outlined. We're extremely well positioned for the near term and the long term, with expectations for top line growth and strong performance improvement. At our 2021 investor day, we announced 2025 targets of 3.9 to 4.1 billion dollars in revenue and 4 to 450 million adjusted EBITDA representing a revenue CAGR of more than 8% and an adjusted EBITDA CAGR of more than 16% through that five-year period. Our 2025 targets will be driven by a focus on bus and coach. We have a strong public and private customer base with longstanding relationships. In addition, ADL will grow into new markets that are underpinning our recurring revenue part stream. We have the largest EBITDA capacity in North America and in the UK with proven track record in delivering electric vehicles and will lead the market's transition to a zero emission future with expectations that 35 to 40% of our production by 2025 will be zero emission, more than tripling the current 2020 uh, ZEB levels. NFI Forward has been a tremendous success so far, and its initiatives will create volume leverage as we'll deliver higher revenue on a lower fixed cost base going forward. And finally, we'll continue to invest in our people, our products, and our business, and recur- return capital to shareholders through our dividends strategies. I'll now turn it back to Stephen to summarize today's discussion. Followed by that, we'd be glad to open the call up for analyst
2: questions. Stephen. Thanks, Paul. Turning now to slide 17, I'll recap this morning's call. NFI's 2020 Q4 and fiscal year performance demonstrate NFI's resiliency, strong backlog position, and ability to respond to the ongoing economic realities of the COVID-19 pandemic. Although we anticipate 2021 deliveries will, will remain lower than pre-COVID-19 levels, we are positioned for market recovery and have already seen strong improvements from NFI forward to drive volume leverage. We view 2021 as a transition year. Following credit amendments plus our recent equity raise, we have a much stronger balance sheet. Combined with our cash flow generation, we now have the flexibility to evaluate strategic investments to grow our zero-emission battery electric and hydrogen fuel cell businesses. We continue to see unprecedented government support for transit. This will help drive order activity and growth in the future. We continue to innovate and disrupt ourselves and the market, and we are excited about the future of NFI. We've had numerous new product launches and announcements to start the year, including the Level 4 automated New Flyer AV, the new battery electric Arbok Equus, and ADL's next generation hydrogen fuel cell bus H- H2O. Soon we'll roll out the next generation of new Flyers electric vehicles and new MCI electric coaches. We are leading this evolution to a zero-emission future with strong 2021 guidance and 2025 targets that would see us drive top-line growth and even better margin performance. We'll now open the line for questions. Jack, please provide instructions to our colleagues.
5: BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C.
1: Certainly. At this time, if you'd like to ask a question, please press star 1 on your telephone keypad. To withdraw your question, press the pound key. Chris Murray with a t b your line is open.
6: yeah, thanks, folks. Good morning. hey, Chris. Um, you know Paul, maybe I'll ask you this question because you know certainly there's been uh, maybe some changes in the market even over the last you know six months to the to the past year in terms of you know the number of folks that are um, either getting into the electric vehicle. Uh, market um, in it in all kinds of different ways. Call it everything from the, the small cutaway stuff that you see at Arbaca right up to you know school buses, transit buses, medium duty buses. Um, I guess the question I have for you is, how do you think the market dynamics play um, in what is looking like a market that could be much more fragmented over the next few years in terms of you guys maintaining share?
3: Well, it's a, it's a good question, Chris, and of course we've all watched and with uh, keen interest on what's happening with these recent uh, SPAC announcements and all these EV buses uh, or companies making a a whole bunch of uh, noise and excitement about entering the the zero-emission vehicle space. The vast majority of them, if you really look into it, are truck or van or that type of oriented market. In our space, we have the core and legacy competitors of of New Flyer and Gillig and Nova. We have uh, Edelro National that's part of the, the Rev Group. We've seen in the last number of years, of course, Proterra is not new; they've been around for whatever 14, 15 years. But Proterra and, of course, BYD, the only real new player to our space that has announced anything in, in you know, a direct competitor to what we offer, really, is the announcements of rival uh, SPAC. And of course, their plans, the you know, vehicles are not in, in uh, been sold or in service, and plans to try start to test uh, those vehicles uh, in a, in a transit type environment in, in the fourth quarter of this year. I'm not so sure I see a a massively different competitive dynamic, you know, that everybody's got their different strategies of how far down the chain they are in terms of battery assembly, uh, battery management system control, uh, and so on and so forth. In the smaller space, that might be an area where we see some change going forward because some of these electric, let's call them van or small truck producers, in theory could migrate over to the cutaway type space, but at this point in time, there really isn't a defined uh, you know, a direct competitor to our businesses, which only reinforces why we think, Chris, this uh, strategy of optimizing our, our battery sourcing, our battery management type strategy, you know, a great example, the, the fact that we're able to bring the Equus charge to market so fast is we basically took the guts and the brains out of the new flyer uh, Excelsior uh, zero emission vehicles and we're able to port that over to the uh, Equus, uh, in, you know, in, in record time. So I think that kind of broader strategy helps us defend from, you know, current competitors, but also any potential new competitors. I'm not so sure I agree with that. We're going to see a much more different fragmented competitor base in the next couple of years in our space.
6: Okay, fair enough. Um, And then just one follow-up to that question. Does that, um, in a lot of ways, I I mean, you talked about the smaller market. Does that give you some more opportunities with Arbock or the cutaway to actually start thinking about offering electrified options?
3: It's a really good question, Chris, because, as you know, that space traditionally was, you know, buy a, a, a chassis from, you know, GM, Ford, Freightliner, whoever, and, and slap a body on the back, and no disrespect to that space, but not not the most attractive uh, vehicles, and had a lifespan of, you know, five to seven years type targets for, for cutaways. The, in the last couple of weeks, as we've launched this electric exquis, we've actually had an awful lot of conversations with our dealer network and their customers about actually shrinking the, the equus even further, and, and potentially even cannibalizing the large size of that uh, cutaway space, and so that scalability dynamic that we're really focused on, and the ability to really know how to build, you know, that medium duty class, which actually looks and smells a lot like a heavy duty, I think might might bode well for us. The the, the game and you know we talked lots uh, with the team at Arbok and, and Chris at New Flyer and his tech team, but the whole dynamic about ultimately what will The core OEMs of Ford and GM do in terms of electric chassis offering. The jury is still out there of how that may impact the pure cutaway space in the smaller vehicles. Plus, as I said, the cutaway historically was a five to seven-year vehicle. Of course, you're going to put a you know 100 grand, if not more, of batteries in it. You're going to want to think about the time horizon of of the life of those vehicles, which which could shift that market.
6: Okay, that's great. A um, couple of questions for me. Um, first, you know, there's some media reports out this morning that the government of Canada might be looking to put some additional dollars into um, electrification of transit, um, and this follows on some announcements from the Canadian Infrastructure Bank, I guess, uh, in the fall. Uh, trying to understand if you can give us any color on if this is n- these are new dollars or recycled dollars, and I think originally the goal was to build uh, 4,000 electric vehicles. Um, which you know when I think about your capacity and what you guys can do and even what's available seems like a pretty big stretch um, any thoughts around that uh, that funding and how that actually might roll into something we see uh, being a little more tangible for you
3: folks well it's a really good question and, and I uh, had the opportunity yesterday Chris to participate in a Canadian Club uh, luncheon in Toronto or like a thousand participants listening online in a panel um, here's our view on that. First of all, I don't, I don't know, we don't know the, the the actual logistical details of how that kind of funding makes its way into the public transit environment. But here's the, the elevator speech as I see it, which I think really net, net is a fantastic movement for Canada. A, the Canadian government has, uh, you know, the, the current uh, uh, Liberal government made a commitment in their election plan to, to put four to 5,000 electric vehicles on a road in five years. Pretty ambitious, with no real details of how they were going to do that. B, they started off with this commitment to, to allow the Canadian Infrastructure Bank a dedicated $1.5 billion pool to think about how to facilitate transit agencies uh, pulling their CapEx forward, and basically CIB taking the risk on future savings. But But really uh you know turbocharging, if you will, the pace at which we can we can look at adoption of ZBs in Canada, both vehicles and the charging infrastructure. And then a couple of weeks ago we saw that big announcement of the federal government to think about dedicated funding more in the line of what we see in the United States. All that I think bodes really, really well. I wouldn't expect us to see big orders in the next couple of months, but quite honestly that is a game changer for the Canadian public transit environment. And it isn't just a vehicle strategy, it is a green zero emission, environmental congestion type strategy, all balanced or, or bundled into kind of one overall. It's the first time, I've been here 12 years, the first time we've seen the federal government in Canada come out with that strong of a, both of a statement, but also economics around making that happen. You know, devil's in the details, but I'll tell you, I'm really, really encouraged.
6: Okay, great. And then just one kind of a technical question for me. the On um, the, all the 20, uh, 2021 guidance, you've talked about a 31% effective tax rate. Um, guys, I mean, we just saw uh, the UK increase, I guess, corporate taxes by about five points to 24%. Um, just any thoughts, I guess, two parts on this one. One, um, did that, does your 31% kind of incorporate that tax change? Um, and then, two, you know, structurally for years, you guys have always paid higher effective tax rates, and I appreciate part of that is how you know, essentially, New Flower got structured a bunch of years ago as a public entity. But, you know, is there anything that you guys can do to bring that back to what I would call a more normal rate than most corporations space?
4: Hi, Chris. This is Papassi. So, you know, just kind of following up uh, on that question, we are reviewing some options for the tax, uh, you know, for, for bringing down that uh, ULC, uh, the the seven points that we kind of incur with that ULC. Uh, so So we have been investigating that. We've got some options on the table. We're working that. I think from a tax rate perspective, we do feel like from our perspective that, you know, the thirty one percent is is in line with our expectations. The the and the thought process there is just a couple of things. Number one is, you know, as you know, the tax rate does get the, the tax rate percentage just does get a little bit goofy from time to time as you've seen. And the reason is because there's a couple of things that happen for us as you as you may already know. Like for this year, for two thousand twenty, we had the goodwill that was non deductible, and then we had some, you know, FTC foreign tax credits. And then our beat tax, which was uh, a little bit of an issue, but we feel like for 2021 we should be fine with, uh, you know, with that. And then, and just, and just on the UK tax that you mentioned, the UK tax that isn't effective until 2023, from what I, from what I've read so far.
6: All right, thanks. That's helpful, folks. I'll turn over the line. Thanks, Chris.
1: Mark Neville with Scotia Bank. Your line is open.
6: Hey, good morning, guys.
7: Hi, Mark. Um, uh, maybe some of the 2021 guide on the ZEB. can you maybe just help everyone sort of bridge the gap? Um, you know, I think it's 2025 percent for 21, it was 9% last year, and I think it's 6% of your backlog. So just um, sort of help us sort of bridge the ramp and sort of how to think about that.
3: You're talking about the percentage of uh, our vehicles that are zero emission?
7: Yeah, I think it's 6% of your current backlog, but it's 20-25% you know, of the guide for manufacturing in 2020. Oh, excuse see so, you yeah.
3: So, yeah. Yeah. So there's a couple of things that are happening. I think, and Mark, we've talked a little bit about this in the past in our materials and becoming more and more prominent. Uh, first of all, the Canadian customers don't have uh significant backlogs. Historically, they haven't been really multi-year contracts. Some have, but most of them have been kind of one-year buys. So, you know, that wouldn't be in the backlog and therefore would be any orders on zero emission in Canada would be added to that percentage. The second issue is, is uh, the, the United States, obviously you have the federal funding. You have the changes in the FTA uh, rules a couple of years ago where you can't just put a whole bunch of options on there and then shop the options around. They have to be intended for a specific audience of customers. Consequently, what's happened in the last two or three or four years is the advent of state schedules, which means that the, you know, pick one, the, the state of Florida puts together a schedule, California has them and others where multiple operators can buy off a state-approved schedule. And, of course, because those schedules don't have defined quantities, they are effectively a buy, and in some cases potentially multi-year, uh, they go immediately to a firm order. They don't sit in an option backlog to start. And, of course, they're only announced at point of not of the, the signing of the state schedule but actually at a PO as received from a customer. So those are the biggest things. The other part that I would suggest in the next couple of years is we're starting to see, we will see more pure zero-emission uh, RFPs hit the street, including
2: uh,
3: both electric vehicles but also uh, fuel cell vehicles.
2: Yeah, Paul, I'd just add to that that the, um, what you mentioned about Canada is a similar experience in the U.K., where the operator is not so much in backlog. for annual That's true. basis. They're,
3: so they go immediately and, to the
2: calc. And then I would say, too, Mark, that uh, more of the ZEBs are in our firm backlog than our option backlog because they have that sure. kind of shorter tenor. Okay. Okay. Um, maybe just the onto the inv- or,
7: sorry the infrastructure solutions business. Um, again, I think that's the first time we get a number on that. Um, so appreciate that. I guess one, I'm just curious sort of the growth you saw in that business this year. And I guess just bigger picture, when you think about that business, I mean, I don't know if my math is correct, but I think 25 million might be roughly 10% of your your ZED sort of manufacturing revenue. Is that sort of how we should think about that business? And is it something that grows alongside? or is there or would this be something that maybe grows in excess of sort of what you see in the manufacturing side
3: yeah it's, it's a really good kind of question and insight mark because you know and, and you know we'll take half good luck and half smart people in our team but we we kind of fell into infrastructure solutions a couple of years ago when we got frustrated with the first deliveries and the customer may not being as ready or the, the installation as uh, you know correct or, or efficient relative to the vehicle deliveries So that business has actually really started to take off. Rough order of magnitude, maybe 60% of all of the ZEB's competitions and and where we win, there's a a zero emission infrastructure requirement as part of that RFP. So what Chris and team have done so far is effectively being able to say to the customer, if you want to include infrastructure in your RFP or in your bus RFP or alongside in a separate RFP, absolutely we will participate. There are some customers that have the, a much broader city strategy, You know, for example, zero emission refuse vehicles or uh, vans or, or uh, heavy equipment, that, that they're having a broader strategy, so they've taken an aggressive position at installing their own chargers. So I would suggest, as far as we can kind of tell the next couple of years, as the, as the, the more customers take on zero emission, that we're going to continue to see that 50 or 60% of the time will be involved in the charging strategy. The bigger discussion then, long term, is do we offer that as a service in itself, independent of a bus, and is there uh, even a more of an expansion into a model where, you know, we work with financiers or, or other scenarios, where in addition to just responding to the RFP and putting the chargers in place, of course the design, the optimization, uh, working with them on whether it's depot or en route chargers, but a broader strategy of you know bringing together a whole package which includes. You know service it includes financing it may include you know telematics, energy optimization and so on and so forth. I'd say it's a space to watch uh, for us it, clearly it's a critical part of the success of the vehicles. It's not like the old days where you just put diesel into a vehicle wherever it comes from and life's good. There's a lot of complexity here and uh, it's a complete game changer for transit agency who never had that skill set uh, inside their their machine uh, up to this point in time at least from a bus perspective okay.
7: You know, on the the maybe the 30 40 percent that I guess are doing it themselves or have their own strategy um, like is there an opportunity are you or is there an opportunity where you're providing consult consulting services around that even if you're not maybe selling your infrastructure with it
3: but yeah let's let's provide I put it this way mark it's really more advisory and consultation up front as part of the kind of the selling and marketing and relationship process but once, uh, you know, New York City, for example, decides to put it in a charger, they have way more resources and w- way broader, and are dealing direct with the, uh, you know, the charging providers and the energy uh, utilities and so forth. But it's, it's it. I wouldn't say no, but it's not going to be a prominent part of our business. Got it. Uh,
7: maybe just one last one. Just for fun, just on the free cash flow guidance, or the, maybe not guidance, but free cash flow for 2021, and you know, we've got the EBITDA guide, I think we've got capex guide. I think you said working cap would be um, a small investment this year, and then just on the tax, um, the thirty-one percent effective tax is that sort of representative of what your cash taxes will be. And maybe just thoughts around interest expenses post the equity offering. Thanks.
4: Yeah, no, I would I would say that that is should be in line with what we should expect from from our perspective. Yeah, and I guess yeah, maybe. Uh, oh,
2: sorry. sorry, sorry go much. ahead.
7: No,
2: no, I'll go ahead, see. Yeah, so, sorry, I think, yeah, like we said, uh, do expect a small investment in working capital for the year. Um, I think mostly, as we said, driven by the kind of more heavy investment in zero emission buses. Uh, as Papasu just mentioned, yeah, kind of, I would say that 31% cash tax kind of equivalent to, okay. to, yeah, to regular tax. And I think overall, from free cash flow to historic profile, has been, you know, kind of 50% of adjusted EBITDA, but you know now we've got higher interest expense in uh, 2021, uh, so just factor that in as well.
4: Yeah, and I think Mark, just a just a working capital piece, which you which you know Stephen alluded to. We're expecting the battery cost to be obviously significantly more. That's why we're talking a little bit more about, and then the testing takes a little bit longer with the the EV. So that's the thought process with having just a little bit of a working capital play that we've or increase that we're going to have to deal with
7: okay all right thanks a lot guys appreciate it
1: now Mancetti with Laurentian Bank your line is open
8: Um, hi good morning everyone hello Um, yeah so my first question would be uh, what's the feedback that you guys are getting from your customers primarily the transit agencies um, are they comfortable with what they have right now or are sort of waiting for um, some of these stimulus packages before they can sort of put in the orders? Uh,
3: I, I think that's a good observation. Look, these guys have gone through hell this past year with, you know, trying to continue to provide service and, you know, driver issues and uh, reduced uh, passengers and local funding dynamics and so forth. You know, every transit agency has, in some cases, a five or a 10-year fleet replacement plan anyway, and they've been updating them. Of course, the political pressure and the public pressure last couple of years to think about zero emission has them, in many cases, doing pilot or demo projects and so forth. Uh, As they get back on their feet from both a more normalized operational perspective, and start to think about rejuvenating their fleet replacement plans, the stimulus or economic support packages in Canada, the UK, uh, in the US are going to have a massive impact at, at what I would suggest is their pace or their desired pace of adoption. Keep in mind that, you know, these are, pub- in most of our businesses, public transit agencies. Those vehicles have been funded by taxpayer dollars. Many of those vehicles have useful life left of them. And so it's going to be a very difficult political sell to take vehicles off the road that still have economic or useful life just to jump onto a zero emission dynamic. So those things all will play into, which is why we've been very, I would say, cautious or clear in our direction about adoption. And it isn't, in our minds, a revolution that's not going to snap back to massive volume or, or demands in the short term. It's going to be a replacement uh, strategy over time. There is no question, though, that uh, zero emission, you know, again, whether it's battery electric or fuel cell electric or, in some customers, trolley electric, is going to be take on more and more prominence as part of that decision.
8: Well, that's great. And just going back to the infrastructure solutions part, uh, the, the, the $25 million that you have there, is there some sort of recurring revenue within there, or is that just uh, the services that you offer and you charge it? And just maybe I'll add on there that once the – uh, zero emission sort of buses grow. Do you see that any that would impact your aftermarket business? Because I've read that generally EVs require less maintenance than traditionalized engines.
3: Well, it's a good question. So, first and foremost, the service that we provide today is something as, as follows. We uh, respond to an RFP, they want us to assess their situation, they they show us the, the location of their vehicles, they show us their routes, they tell, walk us through their you know their their route strategies uh, going forward we then would propose whatever charges make sense whether it's at depot or at uh en route we would work with the various suppliers to try and get the right combination of you know price performance location support and so forth but the vast majority of our infrastructure solutions revenue is is getting paid to install the chargers source them install them get them up and running and so forth whether there will be ongoing revenue stream associated with servicing or supporting those chargers is, let's call it, still up to to be determined. The second part of your question is there is no question that over the next 20 or 25 years, our parts business is gonna be impacted by vehicles requiring, electric vehicles or zero emission requiring spare parts. i caution you that though, however, the vast majority of the parts that, that will be impacted by zero emission are things like engines, or let's say brakes. In both of those cases, uh, you know we are are involved in the spare parts support, largely in a brake dynamic. We're, we're we're the largest provider of spare spare brake parts in, in America and Canada. But on the engine side, companies like Cummins, or on the air conditioning side, ter- Thermal King, and all these other guys, they have their own spare parts support infrastructure. And so the the transition to zero emissions will have less an impact on our business. But there's no question, our spare parts business is a long term. Uh, will be will be inhibited, which is why we've looked at different revenue sources, whether it be infrastructure solutions, or uh, monitoring, or telematics support, or those kind of things that have revenue potential in
6: them.
8: Yeah, that's great color. And just maybe last from my end. Uh, so I remember you'd mentioned that you're for New Flyer, your weekly production e units had gone down to about 45 uh, per week uh, in the first quarter. Is that is that still the case, or has it improved? And maybe a sort of bigger picture on the production side. So your capacity is about 8,000 units per year. I'm just wondering that's like, is there a room to sort of uh, right-size that capacity? I would assume that uh, in in the coming future, we don't see that you're going to hit that sort of rate.
3: Yeah, so uh, two questions. The first, yes, our rate of production is still approximately 45 a week. You know, if you were in the, the daily meetings at our company you'd see that we literally are adjusting production schedules based on orders option, option conversion, uh, state schedule buys and so forth, as well as customer decisions on you know when to take them uh, and so forth. So we're adjusting that schedule literally every week. And the trick then in the, in the strategy through 2021 and into 22 is to ensure we have level loading across our, our plants way, way harder than, than it actually sounds. The second issue is the gap between what we currently build and our max capacity. There's lots and lots of variables. The percentage of the different types of vehicles has an issue on labor efficiency. A a, a single bus or an articulated bus that then has two production slots has a massive impact on, on the production efficiency and so forth. So not to be too simplistic, but mix and volume and propulsion type has quite a dramatic impact on the ability to run efficient factories. Your your insinuation about can we take out costs or right size? That's exactly what we have been doing, and through our NFI forward initiative, both on the cost of running factories, if you will, as well as the overhead and sg and associated with it. But that's built into our forecast that we are effectively doing that.
8: Okay, thank you for your time. I appreciate it.
3: Thank you. Good questions.
1: Cameron Durkin with National Bank. Your line is open.
8: Uh, thanks. Good morning.
2: Hey Ken.
9: So maybe you can just talk a little bit about your degree of visibility on the back half of 2021 because uh, you have sort of highlighted as is usually the case uh higher deliveries in q3 q4 uh, so at, at this point in the year what's your i guess your degree of confidence in q3 and q4 or what kind of visibility do you have
3: so it, it, you know as you know every business is different to the, the motor coach world Effectively, because we're not really building for private customers right now, we uh, we are effectively slots are all sold in terms of it's, it's an execution strategy. Uh, the same to some extent in the in the cutaway and the and the uh, equis uh, at, at Arbok, Arbach, although they have still some open slots and some variability in let's call it Q4. In uh, the new flyer case, uh, you know we probably have the most fidelity, just given the nature of the the bid uh, dynamic, the sold slots, the customer orders, awaiting purchase orders, and all these other things, and as you know, we don't release our orders until we actually physically get a purchase order from the customer. I would suggest that, uh, you know, when we look at, for example, Chris's forecast for the year and his upside-downside, it's probably the tightest range um, of any of our businesses. So I would say we have a pretty high degree of confidence of being able to sell the slots that we have still open, which either come from a new award or largely from an option conversion, or in some cases, a state schedule kind of buy. In the UK, uh, I have to tell you, the last two or three months, Paul Davis has done a fantastic job of solidifying, you know, the first three quarters of the year uh, in terms of his actual build schedule, and the, the fourth quarter starting to come into, you know, into into uh, clarity. The parts business has actually started off, you know, maybe a little bit better than we thought in the first quarter compared to the fourth quarter, which is actually quite encouraging. So all that to say, Cam, you, you know, there's always risk in our business plan. We gave you a range of kind of 220 to 240 for, for the year, on adjusted EBITDA. But I would suggest we're in a better place this year than we were last year at this time, on the confidence of filling the slots and executing to it.
9: Okay, no, that's that's very helpful. And uh, just a second question for me, just just on on Buy America. I mean, there's been a lot of uh, news in the in the press about, you know, the uh, Buy America provisions for any infrastructure spending in the u.s uh, obviously you guys are, are fully buy america compliant but it, you know is there any i guess the, anything you're hearing that would suggest there might be any changes to the buy america percentages or or perhaps with a new uh you know long-term kind of fast act type bill there might be any change with with buy america just any sort of thoughts around what you're seeing on that front
3: Great. it's a really good question and we've spent an awful lot of time talking about it of course You know, you and the others will remember we went from 60% U.S. content to 65 now to 70. The rules around what must physically happen in the United States have not changed. I can tell you with a pretty solid degree of confidence that our intel, our lobby efforts, our work with the, you know, APTA and the trade associations has no, we we don't see anything yet that there's any words or draft legislation or anything about changing the percentages or changing the, the final assembly words. I will caution you, you know, our our readers, our listeners, our investors, that in many cases the the media will confuse Buy American with Buy America. And of course, we live in the Buy America rules of that 70% in U.S. uh, content and and finalization. Buy American, it gets often blumbled together. That's really around infrastructure or physical roads and bridges and those kind of things. And I I think that's an area we're going to see potentially more changes under Biden and Harris. But the short answer is at this point in time, Cam, we haven't seen or heard anything that would change the rules of the road for us going forward.
9: Okay, and, and just on that, I mean, you know, obviously with, with ZEBs becoming more popular, there's changes in, in, you know, supply chain or the value of supply chain. I mean, is there any, any, I guess, adjustments to the rules that would reflect maybe the eligibility of certain components uh, in, a, in a zero emission bus?
3: Well, it's is, again, a fantastic and a very insightful question, because when we first started the ZEB journey, uh, you know, we chose our primary battery supplier, a company called Exalt out of Michigan, to be U.S. manufactured cells going into a manufactured module that then shows up at our place that we put into a, a you know, a battery pack and install into, into the buses. And our competitors were sourcing their cells offshore and then packaging them in America. And, you know, that is... As per the Buy America rules, a cell is a subcomponent, and therefore, as long as the the, the component itself meets 70% content, we're we're fine. So, um, what you're going to see is our strategy about cell sourcing, where it comes from, how we package it, who it comes from, is going to evolve over time. But, you know, it sure feels like the U.S. government up to this point in time has not changed their rules or their minds around origin of cells. Having said that, we've also seen President Biden have lots of discussion, executive orders around everything around mining as, as well as cell manufacture, which clearly the United States is behind the rest of the world on. That may change in the future, but you know our strategy there, as you know, is is not to be manufacturing cells. We want to be the smartest and most most agile buyer of cells and be able to adapt both from a technology as well as a cost per kilowatt hour type strategy. And I'm I'm really quite encouraged by what. Yeah, uh, David White and our team and Chris have been doing on that front. I, I think we'll be very competitive.
9: Okay. No, that's great. I appreciate it. Thanks very much.
1: Thanks, Ken. Daryl Young with TD Securities. Your line is open.
10: Morning, everyone. Hi, Daryl. Um this quick question for me on the, uh, the the longer-term target of 400 to $450 million at EBITDA. Um, you, you sort of touched on um, parts of the market share question that i have related to it with uh, chris's question but I'm just trying to get a sense of you, you know what assumptions went into that and um what makes it um, i think you, you refer to it as a, as a conservative target so maybe just where some of that upside comes from
4: so this is uh this is propositive so let, let me kind of walk you through how we did this so one of the things we did was we went through each individual uh bus or region or whatever the case may be right and we looked at the transition of what we think from each one of our product categories, right? Each one of our buses, and what we would expect in each year, and then what the transition would be for those. And I think, you know, where we come back to saying, you know, what we feel comfortable with that as we stand today is because a couple of things, right? We, we, uh, we, we took a, we took kind of our midpoint approach through that process, so it was fairly detailed when we went through that process. Number two is, I guess where I go back a little bit is with our Z, with our NFI uh, Forward Initiative and the and the cost savings we're going to get out of that, we should start getting some volume leverage as some of our markets pick up, and we took a conservative approach on when our markets will pick up on that. So that that's the thought process. Uh, a couple of quick things is sometimes that if you do the backward math, you would say we did about $330 million in 2019 uh, if we did a full year of ADL, and then we add the you know the the 65 million 67 million dollars of nfi forward you start getting in that 400 million dollar range and i know there's a mixed shift in some other things but that's kind of why why we say it's we feel good about the number
10: okay great and then uh, just the second question in the past on the on the ev side you you referred to um, the dollar margin being roughly the same as a traditional diesel bus, but the but the percentage margin declining. Um, would there be an expectation that over time, as battery costs come down, you'd be, maybe be able to recapture some of that margin and, and you'd see a margin expansion um, it, leading up to that sort of 2025 target?
3: Yeah, that's exactly part of, of the way we worked our model to some extent. In a diesel environment, we buy a diesel engine, we get an actual, we get a transmission. There's, you know, the competitive dynamics. The cost is the cost, the price is the price. We embed it. The way we build our our pricing up from a kind of a cost plus, if you will, doesn't allow for, you know, much margin as the bus gets more expensive. In the battery world, we got some new dynamics. A, the battery cell costs are coming down and will continue to go down, which goes back to my point previously to, I can't remember if it was Mark's question, but. We don't want to get too deep on any one cell supplier or any one battery management packager because we want to be as agile as we can over the next, you know, 10, 15 years to make sure that we get the best technical solution but the best price solution. So there is margin opportunity in that. The second dynamic is we now have margin opportunity we didn't have before. We make our own, you know, battery, let's call it pack uh, enclosures. We we uh, have other fabrication capability inside that whole value chain. We can either make or buy certain software or battery management stuff, all those kind of things. Today, we're starting to see the zero emission margins look a little healthier than we may have originally intended. The question is going to be going forward on competitive intensity. How much of that savings are we going to be able to keep and how much we're going to have to hand over to the customer to ensure that we're market competitive? But I would tell you, you know, today compared to a year ago, the, uh, Confidence that our battery, we can maintain our margins in a battery world, and in fact improve them compared to a conventional, is probably higher today than it was a year from now, as that game starts to get more mature, but also as the
4: volumes start to happen. And okay, great. One thing just to, just to follow up on that, I think just to make sure that we're clear, what we did say was our margin dollars for our EVs are higher than our uh conventional right and and the percentage was lower so just just from clarity's sake
10: okay perfect that's uh that's it for me thanks guys
4: thank you thanks
1: maggie mcdougall with stiefel your line is
3: open
0: morning hi maggie um a couple questions here, first one, a uh, bit of a housekeeping question, so your NFI forward cost savings looks like you found uh, about $2 million in, in change weighing around somewhere, so wondering if you could just give us a bit of an update in terms of where you're you're finding some excess savings, um, and then perhaps a bit of colour in terms of cadence of savings that we should expect to occur as we, as we go through 2021 and 2022. Uh, to help with the modeling expectations.
4: Hi Maggie, this is Papasu. So let me, let me. I'll give you a little bit of a high level. So we are finding a lot of savings in our NFI forward, right? And, but we are taking a little bit of a conservative approach. So our conservative approach is really, when we think about our material savings, we are finding you know, savings in the EV space, et cetera, as we kind of move forward. Uh, but one of the things we're doing is we're taking a little conservative approach because as we think about the competitive dynamics, we're trying to determine if, if some of that is going to be given into price, right? So, uh, that's, why we're, that's why we're just slowly ramping up from the 65 uh, versus uh, going all in until we kind of see how those dynamics play out.
3: Hey, Maggie, you know there's, there's all kinds of sub-projects under NFI Forward. There's the, you know, we call it mesh, but the combination of the parts businesses of ADI and, and NFI in North America. There's the rationalization, of some of our fiberglass manufacturing facilities there's the combination of our uh, BOC and ADI, North American Manufacturing Facilities, and so forth. So, of course, we put plans in place. We do the math. But as we've been executing on some of that stuff, the size of the opportunity is starting to look a little bigger on a few of those projects. And that's why, as Papasu said, we've inched it up from kind of a 65 to 67. The original cadence that we provided of how much we'd see in 2020 versus 21 versus 22 is still approximately the same. The, the, the targets the the project's actual execution are kind of right on track from a milestone perspective and slightly ahead from a savings perspective.
0: Okay, great. That's that's very helpful. Um, second question here, sort of back a bit on something that Chris asked at the top of the call. Uh, he noted taxes increasing increasing in the UK, and and I'm you know we're looking at um commodity prices basically across the board with the exception of maybe a couple uh, up significantly um we haven't yet got to the point of wage inflation but there's a proposed minimum wage increase in the u.s potentially down the road and and it's been a very long time since we've had inflation of any kind but it is something that's being thrown out there so I, i'm wondering if you could help us understand how um, wage and raw material input cost inflation can A, be passed on, um, or B, perhaps uh, dealt with in another manner?
3: It's a good question. So, you know, as, as Papasu said, the, the the broader, the first part of your question, the, the broader average uh, or effective tax rate, you know, there's a delay before the UK tax increase comes into 2023. As you said, who knows what happens in, in Canada, the US over the next period of time. We are taking a broader look at our ULC structure and the tax structure of the business to see We've got some ideas about how that may be able uh, to be changed or modified going forward. Stay tuned to look for that. From a cost perspective, remember a couple of things. First of all, labour is probably 8 to 10% of the cost of a bus. So it has an impact if labour goes up, but it's not a massive impact. The second issue is that the vast majority of what we buy is components or or uh, subcomponents or parts as opposed to pure raw material that we buy buy you know, steel or aluminum or, uh, or stainless steel, carbon steel or stainless steel. So when we put our bids together, remember that what we do is we will get a quantity that's firm and a quantity that's option. We'll know the configuration. We then will basically get a costed bill of material, which includes, you know, multi-year pricing, and then we'll add a targeted dollar margin. So we effectively bid um, based on a, a kind of a cost plus dynamic with inflation effects impacted in it. Again, the raw material in a bus might be 20,000 plus or minus dollars. It's an impact, but it's not massive. So we work with our, you know, the mills and the providers to get you know, as far out pricing as we can. Of course, that dynamic is, is very short-term in, in orientation. Um, so then the real risk becomes our contracts that we've already got in place that have options. The good part of those contracts is almost all of them, if not all, have some kind of purchase price escalator that allows us to actually increase price based on inflation. So if somebody had a, you know, very simplistically, a new contract in 2020, they had options for 21 and 22, we have price escalators if they convert those options in those out years that handle the vast majority, if not all, or in some cases, even more than inflation. So we work off of purchase price indices. So it's not a perfect science, but we're pretty well protected around the risk associated with those things.
0: Okay, great. Thank you. And then one final question for me, just switching gears. Um, looking at the motor coach industry in North America and the UK, it's, it's obviously been you know, having a, a bit of a recession for at least a few years now. Um clearly reopening is happening in many parts of the economy, although I don't know if it's smart or not, but it sounds like Texas is just ripping the band-aid off and going um, fully open. And so I guess my question here is, you know, there's likely to be a gradual recovery in your motor coach business as, as things continue to sort of normalize. What is the competitive landscape going to look like by the time we get there? Um, I know there's been some challenges in the industry with some of your competitors, but I, I'd I'd really be curious to hear your view on that and how that um, may impact your positioning as things improve.
3: Yeah, you know, this is one of the things we spend an awful lot of time on. So, you know, if we just go back in, in the beginning of 2020 or even into 2019 and before, the motor coach market in North America is not one homogeneous market, there's sub-segments, right? So there's the Tour and Charter guys, which is probably half the market, and these the guys are moving sports teams or church groups or in some cases regional Tour and Charter, in some cases national and so forth. That market has been decimated, nobody's moving. The other major market is the Line Hall guys, the Greyhound or the Megabus type people, and of course universities have been stopped, inter-cities kind of stopped, so that place has been decimated. And then the other kind of segments are the, the government-type operators of motor coaches, which has continued, but, you know, the limo guys or the, um, the employee shuttle-type things. So uh, there's a couple of things in terms of the, the market and our personal dynamics. A, we stopped building more commercial motor coaches and, and stopped as if we're not doing it now, but it's not like we've stopped. We've just idled the production lines. The second thing is we have finished goods inventory, not as much as or more than we would have wanted to, but again, COVID made that market stop overnight. So we've got something like 160 or 170 motor coaches on the shelf, if you will, in various configurations. So as the motor coach market starts to recover, our ability to sell a finished product relatively quickly is pretty high. Uh, mm. And of course, that's you know one place that we're actually quite encouraged. Last week. Uh, Chris, uh, Ian Smart, and I, and and our MCI team hosted a conference call with about 200 different operators in the United States and Canada and had a conversation about, you know, how do they feel about the market, what's going on. There is actually a little bit of a sentiment of of more positive excitement of recovery later this year where, you know, Mm -hmm. two, three, four months ago, I'd have told you it wouldn't have been until 2022. So fingers crossed. The, The fourth part of that discussion is, as you'll remember, last year, Uh, we made the strategic decision to liquidate our pre-owned coach pool. That that was roughly 350 units. And so, unfortunately, we took a balance sheet right down. We retrieved the cash. We got rid of those units. The good news is that as there's a recovery, in addition to having units on the shelf or in the lot that we can sell, we've now got a clean balance sheet associated with used coaches and that we can be a little bit more creative and flexible on trade-ins going forward as that market recovers. So, you know, I think we've done a really good job of containing the cost, a really good job of optimizing the combination of New Flyer and MCI into one operating business. Uh, there's lots of things that we're learning about more technology transfer, IT harmonization and so forth. When that market recovers, and I firmly believe it will, uh, that we're in, a, I think, a really good place. You know, the competitors, one, you know, one of the, the biggest one of our competitors is a privately held company called ABC that's an importer of Van Who Coaches. I have to believe they're having some interesting times from their balance sheet and cash flow perspective. uh, The other one is is Prevo, which is owned by Volvo, who continues to to kind of participate in the marketplace. And uh, I don't know, we'll see how it goes. The exciting part is we're also ready for the electric uh, uh, dynamic when it hits motor coach. And it's already started. We already have orders for electric coaches that we're actually building right now. So it's going to be a slow recovery, but I believe it will recover in the next couple of years, and we're in a good place.
0: Thanks, Paul, and
3: thanks very much, everyone.
1: Um, we'll, I'll pass the line over. Thanks, Meg. Thanks, Lewis with BMO. Your line is open.
11: Thanks, uh,
1: Paul. appreciate all the
11: commentary on the competitive picture for Motor Coach and uh, tr- New Flyer. Uh, on Alexander Dennis, how do you see their newer ZEB products as competitively positioned in terms of price and value for the UK and Europe?
3: It's a really good question, uh, Jonathan. Here's a couple of things. We were first, Alexander Dennis. At that time, the strategy was to team with BYD, and that's now going three or four years back. Uh, that has gone really, really well. Uh, the, you know, the partnership where BYD provides the chassis, we body it, uh, deliver it to the customer, uh, and so forth. Uh, the competitive pressure from a couple of the other guys in the UK, namely. Uh, off there, and um, our friends at right bus, right bus, as you know, went through kind of a chapter eleven type event uh, I guess a year and a half ago now. We are in a really good place with the size of vehicles and the type of vehicles, meaning single deck or double deck. Um, we made a deal with with BYD that we actually will now start to build their chassis, so it'll be a far more of a build in UK type position and uh even better now that the government is stepping up to provide economic support to private operators to, to for zero emission adoption uh it isn't as firm and as hard as if you will in the United States with buy america percentages but there's a build in britain type uh mentality around those awards and so i think what paul and the team over there has done is really well really good in terms of the quality of the product but now the, integr- the deeper integration with alexander dennis uh and so the the exporters sorry the importers if you will into the UK have not up to this point you know some of the other chinese type players made any real major traction in europe uh as you know we've had a couple of key targeted areas we got into switzerland we're now into uh northern ireland we're into um germany and uh the strategy there is going to be different it's going to be integral uh, type uh, Alexander Buses, Alexander Dennis Buses, with our own battery strategy. This is where the partnership and coordination with Newflyer comes into play about how we package them, uh, the strategy associating sourcing cells, battery management systems, and so forth. Uh, but remember, in mainland Europe, we're very much targeted at this point as opposed to mainstream. Uh, longer term, I really quite like Alexander Dennis's uh, competitive position.
11: Okay, thanks. And a couple of questions for Papasu on the uh, guidance. Um, Within the new flyer uh, forward cost savings numbers that you've provided to us, are you able to break out those by segment? What portion will be in parts versus manufacturing?
4: Uh, Yeah, uh, that one, uh, we do have that kind of information. And, and Jonathan, we may want to follow up with you on that one.
2: Yeah, I think, Jonathan, in the um – in our uh, MD&A, we break down within the manufacturing and aftermarket segment, what was savings for 2020. Um, so if you're in the detail, the MD&A is a breakdown between the two segments, and then it kind of keeps that similar profile, I think. But as, as, as things go on, we'll continue to update, I guess, on exactly where the savings are. So every time in our MD&A, we'll report kind of where the savings were recorded. Um, and then, and again, the mix, too, between the, the areas, as Papassa mentioned earlier, uh, materials, manufacturing overhead, and then SG&A.
11: Okay, thanks. And on the 2021 EBITDA range, uh, does that include government grants and subsidies, and are you able to provide a sense of what range, uh, you know, might be reasonable for this year?
4: yeah so i mean that's that's something that's a little bit variable right now in uh, some of our cases what we do know today we are looking at those subsidies into our right just to johnson's point we have included an assessment or an,
3: an estimate uh which off the top of my head i don't know the exact number of what uh whether it uk furlough support or the SUS program in canada it is embedded in our 220 to 240 so it's not additive uh the the issue i guess will be is ultimately you know what do we achieve or accomplish as opposed to what our estimate was i don't think we've provided a guidance on on how much we think we'd get in 2021 specifically associated with
4: SUSE. no we have not
11: okay i'm just thinking it's relevant for uh you know rolling forward to 2022. Uh right, thanks for your
1: comments thank you john kevin Chiang with cibc your line is open
12: hey uh, good morning everybody um if i can if i could go back to maybe some of the comments around uh you know maybe looking at strategic investments in in your zero emission bus portfolio and and just when it, when you look across the the landscape of transportation there's there seems to be a, obviously an acceleration across multiple modes to, to electrify transit just wondering how important it is you know as you sit here today in the early innings to to secure that supply chain you know like this morning you saw gm was looking to build a second battery plant with lg Chem, and 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 just given the size of the the, the transit bus market which is which is arguably relatively small compared to you know the total vehicle market is there a necessity on your part to to, to kind of secure that supply chain so that so that you're not caught uh, in a situation where you're not able to get battery modules to, to eventually build those battery packs and in your facilities? And, and are you seeing anything now, just given there seems to be some supply, supply, chain, supply chain constraints already here in uh, in 2021?
3: So, you know, we have not been disrupted on cell supply today from Exalt or A123 that we get batteries from today uh, for our businesses, nor the BYD supply of chassis to our, our friends at Alexander Dennis. So that's the, kind of the, where we are today your comment about surety of supply going forward as everybody's chasing electrification is absolutely valid. And so we are actively and deeply engaged in uh, wherever we go on cell sourcing that we have not only a relationship with ultimately who might package those batteries, uh, but ultimately uh, securing our own portion of that source of supply. That is absolutely fundamental to our business because you're right that the, the battery electric portion of buses compared to the demand for vehicles, whether it be cars or trucks or whatever else is going to be huge. So we're we're deep, deep in that, and that is effectively a core confidence or a strategic imperative for our business to ensure we have that supply.
12: And, and, you know, when you think of that battery, um, I guess the the electric battery supply chain, you're you're doing the battery packs now, you know, you've done a good job um, historically of kind of insourcing more of the manufacturing so they can capture more margin can you continue to move up what I'll call the battery supply chain, or or, 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 or is, is for example, creating battery modules just not something you want to get into, or, or is that something you're also looking, looking at today?
3: Well, I would say no, Kevin, and, and here's why: we've seen all these ZE bus, ZEV bus companies, all these SPACs and whatever make all these unbelievable promises around volume of vehicles, but also battery pack ma- manufacturing and infrastructure or energy and all this other stuff look at the end of the day we need a battery going on our bus just like we need uh, a window or a seat and the pace of change not only the technology the energy density the range performance uh, the health uh, life of a battery as well as the price is going to continue to change and so our strategic decision has not to be to be there but to be the best smartest buyers of that stuff and the most agile so that we're not overly you know, pregnant or married to a certain supplier. At the end of the day, no disrespect to all these sell guys, but they're largely going to end up very similar in commodities. And we need to be really, really smart and agile at how we move that and as you, your question previously, ensuring we have source of supply is absolutely fundamental to our business, and that's what we're focused on. But I don't think you're going to see us moving too far down the chain and in investing money in something that's changing at a rapid pace with some pretty big gorillas and a whole bunch of other guys trying to play in that space. We want to be as agile and efficient as possible. That's
12: uh, that, that's helpful. You know what, I'll leave, I'll leave it there. That, that's, uh, that, that's helpful for me. Thank you very much, everybody.
3: Thanks, Kevin. Thanks, Kevin.
1: There are no further questions at this time. I'd now like to turn the call back over to Stephen King for closing remarks.
2: Thanks, Jack, and thanks, everyone, for your questions and for joining us today. Uh, Before we wrap the call, we will remind everyone that we will be holding our annual general meeting virtually on Thursday, May 6, 2021. We will also issue our Q1 2021 results on the same day. Uh, Details on how to join the AGM will be posted to our website And finally, uh, before we wrap, I just wanted to mention that we are launching a new ESG uh, component of our website, Um, so we should have that up soon, and we'll have our our latest ESG report uh, will be published in May 2021 as well. Thanks, everyone. Have a great day. This concludes today's call. We thank you for your participation. You may now
1: disconnect.
5: new customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C.
0: Thank you for listening to TSX Quarterly. If you enjoyed the cast, remember to leave a good rating. And remember, for any additional inquiries, please consult the company's investor relations section on their website. See you next time.